Uh, I'm Heather Bonner. I am the care ministry chair, and I am excited to be here this morning reading the scripture for you. Um, this morning we're going to be reading Luke 8, 1 through 3, um, or at least that's where we're starting, and I'll kind of take you through it. Um, but we'll be on page 864 in the Blue Bible. Please stand as we read the word of God. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them and out of their means. We'll continue with Luke 24, 1 through 10, on page 884 of the Blue Bible. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. <clears throat> Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man excuse me, <coughs> must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb. Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And we will continue on page 909 of the Blue Bible on Acts 1, verses 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. And these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Thank you, Heather. <clears throat> Let me see if I can use a, 
illustration for UNC fans. Because you stayed up late last night, I know, and you might be a little sleepy, and I uh, want to see if I can capture your attention. Um, six weeks ago or so, UNC basketball was just sort of in a funk. And uh, most people who follow the Tar Heels thought, I don't know if they're even going to make the NCAA tournament. And you can go back and try to figure out something happened about mid-February, and they turned things around. Something turned around inside of them, and now here they find themselves uh, being a participant in the biggest game uh, of their lives last night and then probably their next biggest game of their lives on Monday. Something happened, and it, and it turned them around, and now they get to participate in the biggest event of these young men's lives. Same with these three women. Something happened to these three women and, and the others and the 12, but we're going to focus on these three. Something happened and it turned their lives around and now they get to participate in the biggest thing anyone could ever possibly participate in. That's they get to participate in the public proclamation of Jesus as the King of Kings. Imagine being able to be able to do that. But something has happened to them, and we're going to see their lives and where, where we can learn from them. But I want to first start by just reading a passage from you at the very end of 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul says this, For I delivered to you something of a first importance. So he's, he said a lot of things to the Corinthians. He, we're at the end of the letter, and he sort of wants to come back and say, I want to make sure you know the gospel. I mean, I've, I've given you a lot of instructions, but here's the thing that's really most important. You might think of it in a, even in a basketball sense. When you're breaking the huddle, the coach says, hey, but remember this. this is, I've told you a lot of things, but this is the most important thing. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to people. Those are the four key things that Paul wants them to remember. Now listen to this quote from one of the commentaries on Luke 8 that I read this morning or read this week. The chief responsibility of the early church was to be my witness. And the women constitute the only group to witness all four components. The things that were of first importance, Paul says, these four components, women were the only ones to be eyewitnesses to these four events. The Gospel of Luke tells more stories about women than any other gospel. And the mention of women here in Luke chapter 8 testifies that women disciples belong to the nucleus of Jesus's ministry. That women disciples belong to the nucleus of Jesus's ministry. That, that, I like that one word, nucleus. Can you recall from your high school physics, uh, an atom has a, a nucleus? Here's a little test. What, what are the two things in the middle that make up the nucleus. Protons and neutrons. Very good. All of you got that. I know you did. 
But, but these protons and neutrons, they contain a, a bond that contains, they have a bond that contains an enormous amount of power. When, when they're together, they, they, they have this incredible power. And I don't know if Luke had this in his mind when he was writing his gospel. This line from the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. God created them. I don't know if Luke had this in his mind, but it feels like when you're reading through Luke, he, he purposely highlights the importance of both men and women, like protons and neutrons working together. That, that when they're working together, they form a kind of power. They form a kind of bond. That when they're working together, they have a much more powerful effect on proclaiming the kingdom of God. I didn't know this before I started studying Luke, but Luke has a habit of presenting things in pairs. So if you were just to go back and read through Luke, there's one commentary said there's more than 75 different pairings. And one particular pairing that he's fond of is men and women pairing them together. Let me just give you a few. Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, remember John the Baptist's dad, and to Mary. Then in the same chapter, Zechariah has a song that he sings, and then it's followed by Mary's song that, that she sings. Then when Jesus is brought to the temple as an infant, uh, Simeon was there, remember him? Followed by the prophetess, Anna. In, in Jesus' very first sermon, he uses an illustration of faithfulness. He uses actually two illustrations, one of an army general named Naaman and one of a widow. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus heals the servant of a centurion soldier. And then the very next story, he heals the son of a widow. And, and we could just keep going through the very end of the book, Luke 23, following Jesus' death. A man named Joseph takes him down from the cross and he's aided by some of these women in Luke chapter 8. Now, I realize that I might be sounding a little bit like a Bible nerd right now. But, but I find these new pieces of information fascinating. Because it's not, it's not a mistake that it just happens this way. There, there's something in Luke's writing, not just stylistic. There's something he's trying to, to tell us. And part of it is that right from the very beginning, Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God and he's pairing these 12 disciples, which he mentions, with many women, three of them we know by name. And part of the powerful witness of the church would come through this strong bond between men and women working together. So before we look at these three women in particular, I want to first see what Jesus is doing. You see there, see it in verse one, soon afterward. So he's, he's had this encounter with this sinful woman, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. 
And then soon afterwards, he goes through these cities and villages. So he's in the northern part of Israel. It's called Galilee. And it's sort of circled around the Sea of Galilee in his adult hometown called Capernaum. And he's basically sort of this traveling preacher. He's going to bigger cities and smaller villages with his 12 and this entourage of some women and other people. And he's traveling around and his main message is the kingdom of God. That's the main thing. If you were to say, what's the main thing Jesus wanted to communicate was you would say it's the kingdom of God. He talks about more about the kingdom of God than anything else. In Matthew chapter four, when he emerges from the 40 days of wilderness, the very first thing he says is, Behold, the kingdom of God has come near. In Acts chapter 28, this is the very last chapter, the Apostle Paul is in Rome, and it says he's proclaiming freely the kingdom of God. So this, this is the bookend. This is the whole thing. Now, the kingdom of God is such a huge topic, and it's not, the, it's not our topic this morning, but I think it's helpful just to have this in mind when when Jesus or Paul are talking about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about a geographic area. So we might think of the the kingdom of Great Britain, the United Kingdom. Well, that has a certain boundary to it. But when we're talking about the kingdom of God here, or when Jesus is talking about it, it's, it's not a geographical location. It's better to be thought of as God's rule and reign. God's rule and reign. Think about the Lord's Prayer. My Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then what does it say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, I want your rule and reign to come in. That's my prayer. I wake up and I say this prayer, God, I want your rule and reign to come into my life. But as I go out and do my work today, I want to be ruled and reigned by Christ. So I want the kingdom of God, I want the rule and reign to come into my life. I also want the God, God's rule and reign to come into the world. That's what you're saying when you say the Lord's Prayer. Also, you know this, Jesus was constantly exhorting people to come into the kingdom of God. Seek first, what? The kingdom. And then everything else, I mean, if you've got to have one thing out in front, it's got to be Jesus' kingdom, and then everything else that's really important is going to follow after that. And he takes uh, one time in Mark chapter 10, you remember this story, uh, he's surrounded, always surrounded by people, and some parents probably are trying to get their children, possibly infants, but certainly young children, to come and be, and be held by Jesus. You remember what the disciples do? Uh, um, he's not interested in little kids. And Jesus says, no, that, that's the very people I am interested in. And he brings them up and he holds one and he uses it as an object lesson. And he says, how do you get into the kingdom of God? It's like, it's like me holding up Henry. You have to come like this. In other words, you can't support any of your own weight to get into the kingdom of God. You can't walk in. Somebody has to pick you up and bring you in. That's how you get into the kingdom of God. And then he exhorts people, enter the kingdom of God like a child. Gratefully, we have grandchildren now. And so we've gone back to our old ways of parenting. And when we go to Walmart with our four-year-old grandson, Daniel, whose middle name happens to be Paul, 
we uh, get out of the car. And what's the first thing we say when we get out of the car and we're in the parking lot? Got to hold hands in the parking lot, right? So I take little Daniel Paul's hand. He reaches up and grabs mine. And we're walking through the Walmart parking lot. Now, is his safe arrival to Walmart, the store, dependent on his grip of my hand? Answer, no, 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 no. He's liable to let go for any a number of thousand reasons. But if he lets go, guess what's going to happen? I'm not going to let go. I am going to make sure he gets transferred from my car safely to inside of Walmart. It's not dependent on him. It's dependent on me. That's what faith is. You're putting your hand out and you're asking Jesus to say, I can't make it. I'm going to let go. I don't want to, but I'm going to let go. I'm going to try to run around the parking lot and I might get run over by something and I need you to hold on to me even when I'm not willing to hold on to you. That's what a relationship with Jesus is like. That's how you get into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is constantly calling people into the kingdom of heaven. Interestingly enough, right after the passage where he talks about coming in as a child, he says, hey, let me, let me just stop here and tell you what's the hardest, what's, what's the main thing that keeps you from the kingdom of heaven? Remember what it is? You got to come in like a child. And oh, oh, before we rush on, let me just tell you the one thing that really is the biggest detriment for people coming into the kingdom of heaven. What is it? Wealth. That, that's another sermon. See, Jesus comes into the world knowing people have bought into other kingdoms. Knowing people have other kings. Knowing that other things or people or ideas or emotions rule and reign in their heart. And he comes in to say, I, I want to introduce a new king, me. The Apostle Paul says this in Colossians 1.13. So beautiful. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, other kingdoms, and transferred us into the kingdom of Jesus. God has, has come and he's delivering us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferring people out of the domain of darkness, out of other kingdoms, other, out of other competing kingdoms, and into the kingdom of Jesus. So where are you? What, what kingdom do you live in? What really rules and reigns in your heart? When you can't go to sleep, what's, what are you thinking about? When you wake up, what's motivating you? What's driving you? What's causing you to feel the way you feel? Are you willing, like a little child, to place your trust in Jesus? Or does something you possess actually possess you? What we see in Luke chapter 8, one through three is that there are 12 men and many women who have been delivered. They've been transferred. 
They've been transferred out of a, an old kingdom, a, a domain of darkness, and they've been transferred into this new kingdom of Jesus. And, and their transformation is so profound, they have let go of everything, and they're part of this entourage of Jesus now. They're constantly following him around and listening to him and, and trying to proclaim the kingdom of God with them. What a life. What a life. I mean, imagine, they, they thought they had life. They thought the way they were living their life was, was, was ultimately going to fulfill them, or if they just had one more thing or one more person or one more emotion or one more whatever they thought they had it and then they got delivered they got transferred and now they get to do something that's absolutely priceless they get to serve the king and help people get transferred by their helping jesus it's it's an incredible life What can we learn from these women? First, two things from, from, from the whole group. They are faithfully funding Jesus. You see that in verse 3? And Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's household manager, Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Provided is the word diakonos, which is where we get our word deacon. They're deaconing Jesus. They're serving Jesus. They're an attendant of Jesus. One of the ways it's used in the New Testament is that they're a table waiter for Jesus. Isn't that a great picture? I mean, Jesus is sitting down at the table and he's delivering food. He's delivering the bread of life and he needs people to serve around him. He needs table waiters who will come and attend to this conversation so that the conversation can keep going. And perhaps in the conversation, somebody can get transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of God. And so there's these attendants, there's these deacons, there's these servants, and they're, they're table waiters. A great table waiter, you know this. They, they're anticipating your need right? You've run out of water or sweet tea. And it doesn't take long before you're looking for your waiter, right? You don't want to have to hold up your glass. You want, you want them to see, hey, he's about halfway through and, and I need to get something there. I, I see I'm anticipating that's a great table waiter. They, then they find a way to provide for it. I, I see they have a need. I'm going to go back here. I'm going to find it and then I'm going to bring it back. A great table waiter knows they're not the star of the show. You, you know this, don't you? The most frustrating table waiters, the ones you can't find and the ones you can't get rid of. <laughs> right? I mean, I can't find them. I'm starving. I'm thirsty, whatever. Or they, they somehow just think you're on the Christmas card list or something. And you're like, I, I'm trying to have a conversation here and enough of you. Specifically, one of the ways these women provide for Jesus was by paying for things. This phrase, out of their own means, another translation, they withdrew from their own wealth. What if you had a table waiter who paid for your dinner? Oh, I go there every time, <laughs> right? They anticipate my needs. 
They're never, they're, they're always available, but never in the way. And then when the conversation's over and I've had the best conversation and the best food, they say, hey, I've got the check. That's what these women are doing. They're, they're making sure Jesus has everything and that he never has to reach into his pocket and pay for something. They're going to take care of it all. Exactly what these women are doing. From, they knew, see, they knew from personal experience the value of a one-on-one conversation with Jesus. They had all had a life-transforming conversation with Jesus, and there was nothing better for them to watch somebody else have a life-transforming conversation with Jesus. And if that meant they had to pay for it, that's fine. Think about all the logistics and financial transactions happening in the background of all these stories in Luke. It's typically not how you read through the Bible, but but there are so many things happening that aren't recorded. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he goes through this major city called Jericho, and there's a, an entourage. It's these women, these 12 men, some other people are following. And we've got to get somebody, uh, a, a team out in front to say, hey, they're coming through Jericho. They're going to need a couple nights stay. We're going to have to have food. We're going to have to have lodging. I'll pay for it. I'll take care of it. And do you remember the two crucial conversations that happened in Luke 18 and 19 right next to each other in Jericho? Blind Bartimaeus. Oh, this is one of my favorite stories. Jesus and these women and the 12 disciples and others, they're traveling along and this man on the side of the road says, son of David, have mercy on me. And don't you know these women, they they know he's going to have mercy because they've experienced mercy. He goes along a little bit further and guess what? Who he finds up in a tree. Little Zacchaeus. Hey, I was planning on meeting you here today, Zacchaeus. I, I thought you'd be on the side of the road, not up the tree, but let's have dinner together. Who's serving that dinner? Who's paying for that dinner? There was a life-transforming encounter with Jesus Christ and Zacchaeus, and you and, all, and I all know about it, and it happened because some women attended they withdrew from their wealth and they were happy to pay for it do you think after the Zacchaeus said I'm going to give back all my money I'm following Christ they were like do you know how much that cost us I mean how about a little $20 bill right here for what we put no that wasn't what they were thinking they were like I am so happy this conversation happened I'm willing to pay for this conversation. I want people to know Jesus because I've been transferred. I've been transferred. And I'm happy to take from my own wealth to have other people have a conversation with the person who's changed my life. I want to thank many of you because I've seen you do the same thing. Small or large, there's thousands of stories that you've just said, hey, I've, I've been affected. I've been transformed. I've been transferred. And, and how can I help? 
You, you anticipate a need. You see something and you say, I'm not waiting on Paul to see it. I, I see it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure this thing happens. So people have a, a life-transforming encounter with Christ. Several years ago, I was talking to a member who was really right next to the kitchen. I can remember it very distinctly. And they were just asking me about the church. And I was just saying some different things. And at the end, I said, well, you know, I think we're really ready for another staff person and we sort of have half the salary, but we don't have the other half, and I'm pretty slow on spending money. And he said, well, what would it take to, to, to go ahead and hire somebody? And I said, I don't know, $30,000. And they said, done. I'll make it happen today. See, that's, that's these women. This person had been transferred they had the means, and they said, I'm so happy if I can help someone come and proclaim the kingdom of God. I'm very happy to withdraw from my wealth and give it to them. They're faithfully funding. They're faithfully following Jesus. Luke 8 is a great time to follow Jesus. Everything's up and to the right. Luke 23, not very popular. Let me just look. You can look that with me. Luke 23, 35. Jesus is hanging on a cross. And the people stood by, Luke 23, 35, watching. The important people, the rulers, scoffed at Jesus. <laughs> I mean, he saved others. Let him save himself. I mean, if he is the Christ. And then the powerful people. So we've got the important people, the rulers. Now we have the powerful people, the soldiers, mocked him. Verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said it, he breathed his last and when the centurion saw what had taken place, he said, certainly this is an innocent man. And the crowds had assembled for the spe this spectacle. And when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breast. And all his acquaintances, and who? The women. No disciples there. None of the twelve They're willing to continue to take their stand. 24 verse 10. Now it was Mary, Magdalene, and Joanna, two of the names in Luke 8, who were there at the resurrection of Jesus. So they're there at the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Something happened to these women so transformative that no matter what was happening in the world, whether Jesus was popular or not popular, they're going to never walk away. They have a kind of tenacity. And I wonder about you and me. Do we have that same kind of tenacity? It's going to become and is becoming increasingly unpopular to follow Jesus. I mean, do you have the tenacity to stand when it's not all up and to the right? 
had a great inquirers weekend and it's always fun to see the people the mix of people that came and we had probably eight college young women I can see some of them around here they all look the same to me I'm sorry at 58 but I, I see you generally but they're so impressive some of them have already given their lives away here at Christ Community. Some of them are young life leaders. All of them follower Jesus. And, and I want you to know you're going to have to have this kind of tenacity. You're, you're 20. Your next 40 or 50 years is going to be some tough years. There are going to be a lot of powerful people a lot of elite people who are going to mock you and you're going to have to say, I'm going to st- I'm, I've been transferred. I'm going to stand. I'm not, I'm not going to walk away. I, I want you to be one of those women. Do, do we have that kind of tenacity? Let's just mention one thing about each one of these women specifically as we close. Susanna and many others. What do we know about them? What's the answer to that? Nothing. We know one person's name, and then we know there are some others. We don't even know their name. I mean, we know they faithfully followed, but no biography. I mean, these women had completely rearranged their lives. These women had had reached into their own pocket and given money. And they're funding Jesus' ministry, yet in the Bible, they barely get mentioned in Jesus' Instagram feed. Is that okay? Yes. Yes, it is. It, it is because they're not the star of the show. Jesus is. They're table waiters. They're, they're not serving Jesus for something. They're serving Jesus because something has happened to them. They happily withdrew their wealth to fund Jesus' ministry because of what had happened. And their joy came when other people had a conversation with Jesus. They didn't need to be in the spotlight. We're a, 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 such a great example for all of us now. If you've got to have something on your Instagram feed that makes you look good, you're going to have a tough time following Jesus. Joanna, I would love to have a conversation with Joanna. She, her husband is the chief financial officer for Herod. Herod, you know Herod? Put John the Baptist to death, beheaded him. Befriended Pilate and had Jesus put to death. And she is the wife of a wealthy man who's the CFO for Herod. He, she's, he's running all of Herod's finances. She traveled in two different circles, Herod and Jesus. I just wonder what that was like. What was it like to, to spend two or three of your years of your life following after Jesus and then to go back to Herod's palace? She's using the money that Herod provided to her husband to fund Jesus. I'd like to ask her about that. (laughs) You've got to wonder how many strange conversations she got into with her elite and powerful friends, maybe even her own husband. 
Why are you wasting your money on a peasant preacher? She is specifically mentioned as one of the women at the empty tomb. See, there's nothing about her powerful position. There's nothing about, nothing about her elite status that's going to keep her from Jesus. She's a, a wealthy woman who somehow learned to live faithfully under the rule and reign of Jesus, but in the shadow of Herod. I'd like to know how that's done. Mary. We know most about Mary. She'd been healed from seven evil spirits. Seven probably is a number of completeness. So she was completely in the domain of darkness. And she had been transferred. She's the last person you'd think would ever follow Jesus. But she's been transferred into his kingdom. And even though she isn't the person in Luke 7, she's been forgiven much, so she loves much. She has a tenacity for Jesus that is really unmatched in the Bible. She's at the empty tomb. She's the very first person to encounter the living Christ. You remember, she didn't recognize him at first. Remember, thought she was a, he was a gardener of all things. And how did she recognize him? Remember? Mary. me I don't know but I think that was the voice she heard when she was in the domain of darkness we sang this little song and it's it's okay but it said something like out of the darkness I called your name I would say in the darkness Jesus called your name And she knew, she knew this voice. The sheep know his voice. He calls them by name. Mary, Mary knows this voice. Mary has put her hand into Jesus' hand. She's not worried about letting go because he, she knows he's not going to let, let go. And incredibly, she's given an assignment. You know what the assignment is? Go proclaim the kingdom. Go do what you've been watching me do from Luke chapter 8, verse 1. And the first people I need you to tell the kingdom of God to is the disciples. Let me just finish with a few questions. Everyone here is living in some kind of kingdom. Some kind of rule or reign is in your life, in your mind. Where are you? Jesus is still calling out names. People who, who seem like they would be furthest away from the kingdom of God, he can call out your name. Have you responded? And of these three women, if you're a follower of Christ, what, what, what's your takeaway this morning from the nameless women? What's your takeaway from Joanna? somehow navigated these two worlds successfully or Mary. We, we finished the sermon with the communion because it's uh, about the kingdom of God. Jesus is really proclaiming that he is the king and remarkably the king 
is going to do something very powerful. He's going to lay down his life for other people. And he takes the bread and he takes the wine and he says, this is my body and this is my blood. And I want you to do this in remembrance of me. To remember that I'm the king. That I rule, that I reign. And so if you're a follower of the king, I'd ask you to come and take. Take the little clear part off first. And the wafer. And remember the king who died for you. Let's take. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just a few minutes of time to think. And I pray whatever you've impressed on every mind and heart and soul here, we wouldn't just burst through these doors and it gets lost and a priceless eternal word from the Lord gets lost in a Spotify playlist, a hunger for food. That we have been served a meal here through your word and we have been able to sit for 30 minutes and have a conversation with you. Would it be life transforming? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.